This is episode 328 of the AWS podcast, released on August 18th, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Sam Leisha here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by the illustrious Nikki Stone. Hello, Nikki. Hi, everyone. So glad to be back. It's good to have you back. Now, you've uh, been in town for a while because you're usually traveling around, but I believe you may have left a key item of podcasting equipment in your travel somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I lost my mic stand in an Uber two weeks ago. I'm not proud of it. It's probably the most San Francisco phrase ever. (laughs) I was uh, leaving my studio. I have a little studio here in San Francisco and I just left my studio, took an Uber home, got out of the car, forgot about the mic stand. I took the mic. Don't worry, I have the mic. That's a good thing. (laughs) Well... Speaking of microphones, we have some really exciting news for our listeners tied into an even bigger announcement for AWS customers. And that is that AWS has announced Intersect, which is a two-day music festival in Las Vegas on December 6th and 7th. And the uh, eagle-eyed amongst you will go, hmm, that's right adjacent to this little thing called reInvent. Now, Intersect is a celebration of music, community, and innovation. Have some great artists, including the Foo Fighters, Casey Musgraves, Beck, and Anderson Pack, as well as uh, many, many others. It'll be continued to be announced. Now, the good news for AWS podcast listeners is we have secured you a discount on tickets, which is very cool. So if you visit https colon forward forward slash int.aws forward slash podcast, then you can learn more about the festival and how to purchase tickets as well. So Nikki, are you going to go and be our roving reporter on the spot there? So I'm definitely going to go. But Simon, did they give our uh, listeners the uh, the discount because we're like the coolest kids club? Like what? what why are we so special? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not special. Our listeners are special. And membership has its privileges, I guess you could say. So uh, if you're an AWS podcast listener and you want to go to that festival, you get to go for cheaper than everyone else. So uh, it's pretty cool. I definitely want to go. Yeah. I'm definitely going. Very nice. I'm all about it. Now we have lots of big, big items today. I think it's one of the biggest episodes ever in terms of updates. So we're going to rip through a lot of stuff. Uh, the first one is great news for our customers in the Middle East. We have announced the new AWS Middle East Bahrain region, which is really exciting. That's uh, immediately available. So this now joins our other 22 regions and 69 availability zones worldwide. So we serve over 190 countries from different locations. And this one is really important because the uh, the Middle East region is, of course, a, a big economic engine, lots of our customers deploy there and having a, uh, a local location or a location that's even more friendly from a latency perspective is really great. So very excited to see that there. There are actually a lot of my followers on Twitch that are excited about this announcement so that they can now play Fortnite in the Middle East. <laughs> a, lot of game, about- a lot of gamers super stoked on this uh, Middle East region. Uh, hashtag priorities. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyways, moving on to storage. Uh, the EBS default volume type has been updated to GP2. GP2 volumes offer lower latency and higher throughput than standard volumes, but standard ones will continue to be supported as an EBS volume type. AWS backup will automatically copy tags from resource to recovery point, which makes it really easier to find stuff when you're going through your backups. There's also been a configuration update for Amazon EFS encryption of data in transit. So they've updated the default configuration for Amazon EFS mount helper package when using encryption of data in transit. And starting today, the use of the online certificate 
certificate status protocol is not enabled by default, but you do have the ability to enable it and have your clients checked for revoked certificates, providing the strongest possible security. Some changes for AWS Snowball and AWS Snowball Edge. It's available now in the Asia Pacific Seoul region. And I mention this because we don't often mention uh, sort of regional expansion. This is happening all the time. And if we just talked about the regional expansion items, we'd add another half an hour to the show. But I wanted to mention it as a reminder that these uh, snowballs are a great way to transfer large amounts of data. These are ruggedized devices. You can move petabytes of data in and out of S3 for migration, edge computing, machine learning, and analysis. And it really overcomes situations where you may not have adequate network bandwidth uh, or you're moving uh, out of a harsh environment or you want to operate in a harsh environment as well. For example, on ships is a, is a common use case. These are a really useful piece of hardware and quite cool when you see them. In fact, we've got one in our office at the moment that we've been uh, tinkering around with and it's, uh, they're pretty cool little devices. They do have a Kindle on the front, although no one's managed to read a book on it yet. <laughs> it's just for the shipping label. Amazon S3 has added support for percentiles on Amazon CloudWatch metrics. Uh, so this feature allows customers to visualize an alarm on P90, P95, P99, P99.9, or any other percentile of an S3 request metric. And this provides customers with more granularity for their request patterns on S3 and helps them observe and diagnose anomalies in their request patterns on S3. Amazon FSX now supports Windows shadow copies for restoring files to previous versions. If you've used Windows file systems in the past, you'll know that uh, shadow copy is kind of the thing. So now you can do it really, really easily. Use all the tools you're familiar with. You can uh, restore from Windows File Explorer. All those, that nativeness goodness is all there. And finally, from the storage perspective, Amazon CloudFront announces support for resource level and tag-based permissions. So it means you can be even more granular in the way you apply your security protocols. And with any security, you want to scope down as much as possible. And this gives you even more choices to do so. Moving over to the topic of compute, couple and in instance announcements. Uh, so Amazon EC2 AMD instances are now available in additional regions. So those would be M5A, M5AD, R5A, R5AD, and T3A instances have been added in additional regions. Amazon EC2 P3 instances featuring NVIDIA Volta V100 GPUs now support NVIDIA Quadro virtual workstations. So so these instances are really important for graphics intensive workloads and NVIDIA Quadro Virtual Workstation AMIs deliver high graphics performance using the powerful NVIDIA Volta V100 GPUs running in the cloud. They have the latest NVIDIA GPU graphics software pre-installed with the latest Quadro drivers and Quadro ISV certifications for support for up to 4K desktop resolutions and 8K video encoding capabilities. Very handy when you've got your four screen 4K super duper setup. <laughs> I'm imagining a video game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What can I run? Uh, it's it's actually been a, a big month for instance type announcements. So we now have the EC2 i3EN and C5N bare metal instances. These are now generally available. And these provide your applications with direct access to the Intel Xeon scalable processor and memory resources of the underlying server. So these are ideal for workloads that require access to the hardware feature set. So things like Intel VTX is a good example. Or for applications that need to run in non-virtualized environments for licensing or support requirements as well. i3EN gives you up to 60 terabytes of low latency NVMe SSD instance storage and up to a 50% lower cost per gig over the previous i3 instances. And I can't believe I'm using phrases like 60 terabytes and SSD in the same sentence. It's a bit <laughs> bizarre. The i3EN instances also provide up to 100 gigabits per second of networking bandwidth uh, and come in seven instance sizes. So they are pretty 
G-Chunky, the C5Ns uh, have 3.0 gigahertz Intel Xeon scalable processors, the Skylake ones, and they provide support for the Intel Advanced Vector Extensions 512, AVX 512 instruction set. And these also have a 100 gigabits per second of networking available to network bound workloads without you needing to do anything custom or recompiling anything, etc. And what this means is you can really run some great uh, HPC type workloads, analytics, machine learning, etc. available in a wide variety of regions. And these are very, very, cool to play with. In addition, we also have some C5 new instance sizes available in additional regions as well. So these are the C5 12x large, 24x large and C5 middle instances. These are available in some additional regions as well. So you're getting more and more choice all the time. And people often ask, you know, how do we know what instances to create, etc. And really fundamentally, I think Nikki, it comes from customers saying, hey, I would really like this kind of instance to do this kind of work. And we're constantly working to both refresh them so that they're up to date. Uh, so you sort of get rid of the undifferentiated heavy lifting of migrations, which were always a royal pain in the butt. You get the coolest and fastest because often uh, if you can't change the code to optimize something, changing the hardware is the other option. And in the cloud, you just go click and it's done. Moving on, EC2 Spot is now available for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So starting today, or actually a week ago, two weeks ago, you can launch EC2 Spot instances running RHEL Red Hat Enterprise Linux on base Red Hat Enterprise Linux AMIs. Previously, only customers with existing Red Hat Enterprise Linux premium subscriptions could launch EC2 spot instances running RHEL in a bring-your-own license model, but now anyone can do it. And Amazon EC2 now supports tagging launch templates on creation. So you can now tag launch templates at the time that they're created, eliminating the need to run custom tagging scripts after creation. Also, you can set resource-level permissions on the Create Launch Template API, allowing you to implement stronger security policies by giving more granular control over who has access to that API. Amazon EC2 was not finished. Amazon EC2 on-demand capacity reservations can now be shared across multiple AWS accounts. You can now share these capacity reservations with another AWS account or within your AWS organization. And when a capacity reservation is shared, EC2 instances launched by one AWS account can utilize EC2 capacity reserved by another account. That's pretty cool. Amazon EC2 fleet now lets you modify on-demand target capacity. So they've simplified the provisioning of Amazon EC2 capacity across different Amazon EC2 instance types, availability zones, and on-demand and reserved instances. So with a single API call, you can now provision capacity across EC2 instance types and purchase models to achieve your desired scale, performance, and cost. And continuing on EC2, it now lets you set a maximum price for a fleet of instances. So uh, starting today, you can provide the maximum total flight, total flight, total price for your EC2 fleet, enabling you to control how much you pay per hour for the entire fleet of instances. So what this means is that it'll try and fulfill your desired capacity, but will stop provisioning instances before exceeding your maximum fleet price. So you know how much you're going to pay before you start at the maximum, but you might get it for less. Also, Amazon EC2 Hibernation is now available on Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, which is very useful for stopping and starting stuff. And moving on to Amazon ECS, a bunch of updates around the container space. And I'm going to steal some of Nikki's thunder. I know she loves the containers, but I'm going to do this one. <laughs> ECS services now support multiple load balancer target groups, which is really handy. And this is uh, useful whether you're running on EC2 or AWS Fargate. And target groups are used 
to route requests to one or more registered targets when using a load balancer. Now, attaching multiple target groups to your service allows you to simplify infrastructure code, reduce costs, and increase manageability of your ECS services. In the past, you could only do one. Now you can do multiple, which makes it easier. Also, the ECS console now enables simplified AWS app mesh integration. So it's much easier to add that task in, which is very cool. And also ECR, the uh, Elastic Container Registry, now supports an increased number of repositories per region and images per repository. Because one thing I've noticed about containers is once you start with them, you end up with lots. And previously, the default limit was a thousand repositories so per region and a thousand images per repository. And you had to do an extra step to increase the limits. Now the default is 10,000 repositories per region and 10,000 images per repository, uh, which is better for growth. Do you think that will cover uh, your growth needs, Nikki, for the next week? Maybe, maybe the next couple of days. <laughs> a, few, a few other ones. Uh, ECR also now supports immutable image tags, which means that you can't overwrite them, which is really useful because you can use a common intuitive approach, which easily integrates with your CI/CD pipelines because you don't necessarily want those tags to ever change throughout the image lifecycle. Amazon Linux 2 Extras now provides AWS optimized versions of some new Linux kernels. So starting today, you can get uh, Linux kernel 4.19 on the Extras channel. And this gives you some uh, improved enhancements and performance on A1 instances and higher bandwidth with lower latency on some of the smaller instance types. Now, Linux kernel 4.14 continues to be the pre-installed and default kernel for Amazon Linux 2 and has long-term support. The Extras gives you access to what we would call bleeding edge software. So stuff that could break because people are still working on them, uh, language runtimes, tool chains, web stacks, etc. And this uh, helps you sort of choose between stability and freshness. And you're going to see a lot more kernels made available in this way. Let's move on to the Edge a little bit. And Lambda at Edge now has support for Python 3.7, which I'm very excited about because Python is my go-to at the moment. This uh, allows you to use Python in addition to the currently supported Node.js. So uh, where in the past I had to learn myself some Node.js to implement some Lambda at the Edge, I can now transport my Python skills across to that. And uh, finally, from a, cute uh, from a compute perspective rather than a cute perspective, AWS Batch now supports the Elastic Fabric Adapter. Now, this uh, allows you to expose host devices to your AWS Batch jobs, including the Elastic Fabric Adapter, which lets you run highly performance distributed HPC and machine learning workloads using the AWS Batch Managed Instance Provisioning and Scheduling Capability. Now, EFA is a networking interface for EC2 instances that lets you run applications that need high levels of internode communications at scale. Often HPC type workloads benefit from this using MPI uh, or other types of uh, collective communication protocols as well that need to scale across thousands of CPUs and GPUs. This allows you to do this much more easily and cost effectively and just simplifies everything, which is nice. Moving on to the topic of networking, another announcement with Elastic Fabric Adapter it is officially integrated into the LibFabric library. So customers can now directly use LibFabric 1.8 without needing to install the EFA provider separately. You can now launch AWS Glue, Amazon EMR, and AWS Aurora serverless clusters in shared VPCs. So with Amazon VPC sharing, you can now use Glue, EMR clusters, and Aurora serverless DB clusters in a shared and centrally managed VPC. That's really awesome. AWS DataSync now supports Amazon VPC endpoints. So you can now deploy DataSync within your VPC using VPC endpoints. And with this feature, data transferred between the DataSync agent and AWS service doesn't need to traverse the public internet or need public IP addresses, increasing the security of data as it is copied over the network. AWS Direct Connect now supports resource-based authorization, tag-based authorization, and tag on resource creation. So you have much more granular control with authorization for Direct Connect. And also you can create tags at the time that you create your Direct Connect resource instead of afterwards back. 
Let's move on to the topic of databases. Amazon Aurora Multimaster is now generally available. So this lets you create multiple read-write instances of your Aurora databases across multiple availability zones. So this is really useful for those uptime sensitive applications to have continuous write availability through instance failure. This is pretty fancy because uh, if you've ever tried to make this work, it's really, really hard. So it's now available on Aurora MySQL 5.6 in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon and EU Ireland, and there'll be others to come as well. And some good links in the show notes about the details of how that works. Amazon Document DB with MongoDB compatibility now has aggregation pipeline and diagnostic capabilities, which means you get a lot more insight into what you're doing and a lot more control over how it's working. Speaking of control, Amazon DynamoDB now helps you monitor as you approach your account limits. So it now publishes account metrics to let you monitor your capacity consumption against your account limits. And you can also, of course, set alarms around this so you can get notified before something bad happens because uh, something's changed from a performance profile. A whole bunch. I really love that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one, that one. That one uh, gets you out of jail sometimes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Amazon RDS, a uh, whole bunch of updates there. In terms of Oracle, we now support new instance sizes. So the DBM5 and R5 instance classes are now available in the 8x large and 16x large. So now you can go up into the latest generation. This is really useful if you're running on M4 or R4 instance types. This is a, an obvious upgrade approach because you get access to the latest and greatest hardware. For example, the R5 ones give you 5% additional memory per vCPU and up to 20% increased CPU performance over the R4 instances as well. RDS for Oracle has a couple more announcements. They support Oracle manage the support Oracle management agent version 13.3 for Oracle Enterprise Manager Cloud Control 13C. So the OMA version is 13.3 and it offers web-based tools to monitor and manage your Oracle databases. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports July 2019 Oracle patch set updates and release updates. So the July patch set updates for Oracle database 11.2 and 12.1, as well as the July 2019 release update for Oracle database 12.2. RDS for Oracle now supports all of those. Amazon RDS SQL Server now supports changing the server level collation. So now you can choose it when you're creating your DB instance. If you don't specify anything, the default will continue to be SQL Latin 1 general CPU one C one AS say that three times fast and Postgres <laughs> Postgres 12 beta two is now available in Amazon RDS database preview environment. Really useful. If you're testing for the latest and greatest versions, you can see if it's going to work and Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility supports publishing Postgres log files to Amazon CloudWatch logs, which is really useful for understanding what's going on across your environment and some cool CloudWatch log updates a little bit later. Quick uh, migration topic break before we head to my favorite topic developer tools. Um, so in the topic of migration, AWS Migration Hub now supports import of on-premise server and application data from RISC networks to plan and track migration process. So with the support of on-premise server and application data exported directly from RISC networks, which is an AWS migration competency partner, we now support the plan and tracking migration progress of that. Yeah, that, uh, that, well, before you move on, that, that Migration Hub is a really good location to uh, to control the migration of large-scale activities from your environment. We have a lot of customers who are trying to exit data centers. I still come across the, the horror stories of the broom closet or the flooded data center or other terrible things that have happened to people when things go bump in the night. And one thing they want to do is move out quickly. And the Migration Hub lets you do that really effectively. Now, we are going to move on to developer tools. And I can see Nikki is absolutely just champing at the bit to talk about it. And she's worried I'm going to talk about it the cool stuff, but I'm not, I'm not. But what I'm going to mention is that AWS Code Pipeline has HIPAA eligibility and 
I'm mentioning that just as a, again, another call out that we have a lot of services that are constantly upgrading which compliance regimes they conform to, be they FedRAMP, IRAP, you name it. There's a laundry list of them and they're constantly being updated. So you can always check the AWS compliance page to see which particular regime that you're interested in is covered by various services. So I just wanted to call that out, but now I'm going to just throw to Nikki and take a break while she talks you through all the developer goodness that's been going on. Code pipeline wasn't actually done. So not only did they add HIPAA eligibility, but they added a pipeline status to the pipeline listing. So basically before you had to click into your pipeline to see the status of the most recent execution of each stage of the pipeline, but now you can actually see the status of the pipeline directly from the main pipeline listing. So you can monitor the status across multiple pipelines in one unified interface. The Amplify console has added support for automatically deploying branches that match a specific pattern. This one is really cool. So you can define patterns in your GitHub branches like release slash whatever, and then all those branches, you can tell Amplify console, please deploy those to this endpoint. And basically you can manage deployment that way. So that's great. That's very cool. You could, you could optimize that whole workflow doing that. Totally. Well, I mean, like now you have one branch and you just say like, oh, deploy and then automatically when every time you check into that branch, a deployment happens. happens. Wow. Nice. Amplify Framework adds predictions category. So this one is especially cool because before this category was added, I actually wrote uh, React components for every single Amazon ML API with my good friend, Nick, and we presented it at ByteConf. And this basically does all that work I did for you. So are you telling me that you've just experienced the classic Amazon customer experience of I built something and now I don't need to have built it anymore? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly Which is a good right. thing because the fact that you had to build it meant you needed it, which probably meant that a lot of other folks needed it. And so now yeah, it exists. it was a widely used library mm. on my GitHub. <laughs> so uh, what this means is Amplify Framework has now added predictions. Uh, so you can say Amplify add predictions, and you can add services such as recognition, translate, poly, transcribe, comprehend, and text into your application with basically the JavaScript library and the CLI tool, um, and basically use those React components that I had written, um, but basically they're <laughs> written for you and can use them in your app. Very nice. And lastly, oh, there's one more. Oh. Before we before we before we leave developer tools, there's one more announcement. Amplify Framework has added local mocking and testing for GraphQL APIs, storage functions, and hosting. I actually tested this out. It's pretty cool. So basically the CLI toolchain for Amplify now includes local mocking and testing capabilities for your GraphQL API. So if you set up your GraphQL API and you're like, cool, I want to test it out, you no longer have to deploy it to the cloud to test it. You can now test it locally and it'll run on port, I think 8,000 for you. Pretty there you cool. go. Nifty. Let's move on to analytics. And there are some exceptionally cool things that have happened in this uh, particular topic that we want to talk about. The first is that AWS Lake Formation is now generally available. Regular listeners will know we did a special sort of uh, preview edition podcast where one of the product managers came and, and spoke about what it was going to do. Well, now it's up and running. It's a service that makes it easy to set up a secure data lake in just days. If you've ever worked in da the data lake world before, you know that's been commonly a very painful or long-term project. Months is typically the word that goes on. This lets you do it much more easily, providing you with a centralized, curated, and secured repository that stores all your data, both in its original form and prepared for analysis. Now, this helps you break down those data silos that exist in organizations and combine different types of analytics to get insights and better business decisions. Now, creating a data lake with AWS Lake Formation is as simple as defining where your data resides and what data access and security policies you want to apply. Then collects and catalogs your 
data from databases and object storage, moves the data into a new S3 data lake, cleans, classifies using machine learning algorithms and secures access to your sensitive data as well. Then the users can access a centralized catalog of data, which describes the available data sets and their appropriate usage. And then you can use these data sets with whatever analytics and machine learning services you like. So if you want to use EMR for Apache Spark, or if you want to use Redshift Spectrum or Athena, whole bunch of stuff. It's available in US East, North Virginia, US East, Ohio, and US West Oregon, EU Island, and Asia Pacific Tokyo at the moment, and more will be coming. The other really cool thing that's happened is something very near and dear to my heart. Again, regular listeners, I think Nikki will be very familiar with my deep and abiding love of SQL as a way to access data. <laughs> because it's what I know. I knew you were going to be excited about <laughs> Yeah, huh? one. you saw that one. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go on about that one. So we are announcing something called PartyQL or Particle, depending on how you want to say it. I haven't I haven't been able to nail down what the cool kids are calling it, but it's spelled P-A-R-T-I-Q-L. And this really helped address the problem of accessing data across a wide variety of relational, non-relational data lakes, etc. Some highly structured, some not structured, but using SQL. And SQL is a really way to do this, uh, a really easy way to do this, I should say, in a consistent fashion, regardless of where or in what format the data is stored. And this was, as I mentioned, was created because we had a need internally at Amazon to query and transform vast amounts of data and of a wide variety of data and not just tabular data, but nested, semi-structured, et cetera. But people found that they wanted to use SQL, but they wanted to use it across things like QLDB or they wanted to use it across Redshift or flat files or, or what have you. And so this technology really came into play. Now, one thing I do want to share is the design tenants behind Particle, because I think this is really important. And for those of you who aren't familiar at Amazon, something we do is we create tenants around um, services, projects, and even teams. And these tenants help us uh, act as kind of decision makers or, 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 or deadlock breakers when we're trying to figure out what's the right direction to go. And so it's a very common and upfront message to the team about how we should be doing things and what our goals are. So the design tenants for Particle include the following. The first is SQL compatibility. So Particle facilitates adoption by maintaining compatibility with SQL. So existing SQL queries will continue to work. That is, they will maintain their semantics and syntax. And there's more to that particular tenant, but I want to share the first part of that. The second one is first class nested data. So the data model treats nested data as fundamental to the data abstraction. The third is optional schema and query stability. So it does not require predefined schema over data set. The fourth one, is minimal extensions. So Particle has a minimum number of extensions over SQL. The extensions are easy to understand and lend themselves to efficient implementation and compose well with each other and with SQL itself. The next one is format independence. So Particle syntax and semantics are not tied to any particular data format. So a query is written identically across underlying data in JSON, Parquet, Orc, CSV, Iron and other formats. And the last one is data store independence. So Particle syntax and semantics are not tied to a particular underlying data store. Now that's a summary of these tenants, the full tenants are in the blog post linked in the show notes. But the other important thing is this is open sourced for the entire community to take advantage of. And what we see is people really contributing to this in a really effective way. It's open sourced under the Apache 2.0 license, and you can contribute through sending uh, pull requests or filing issues or looking through the tutorial, etc. There's just sort of so much, so much that can happen with this. I'm uh, uh, pretty enthusiastic about it. It actually looks really cool. Not something I would traditionally 
be excited about, but that looks really, really cool. Especially because there are so many customers these days that have multiple data types or multiple like, databases, like no relational, relational all over the place. I mean, even my startup, we had a relational database and a NoSQL database. And to be able to query them both at the same time, is really, really cool with one, with one language, essentially. Moving on, AWS Glue now supports the ability to run ETL jobs on Apache Spark 2.4.3. Uh, so it's updated its support for ETL jobs, which enables you to take advantage of the stability fixes and new features available in this version of Apache Spark. AWS Glue now supports additional configuration options for memory-intensive jobs submitted through development endpoints. You can now pick from two new configurations, G.1x and G.2x, that provide more memory per executor. Previously, you were only able to specify the additional worker types for Apache Spark jobs in AWS Glue. AWS Glue now provides the ability to bookmark, parquet, and ORC files using Glue ETL jobs. So bookmarks is a pretty important thing when it comes to Glue. It helps maintain state information and prevent the reprocessing of old data to avoid duplicates. Previously, you were only able to bookmark common S3 source formats such as JSON, CSV, Apache, Avro, and XML. And now you can bookmark Parquet and ORC. Glue wasn't done there. They now provide, this one's really cool, find matches ML transform to deduplicate and find matching records in your data set. So now with Glue, you can find matching records across the data set by using the new find matches ML transform, which is a custom machine learning transformation that helps you identify these matching records and avoid deduplication of your records. So customers that have signed up more than once, products that have accidentally been added to your product catalog, and so on. Very nifty. Now, if you want to visualize all this data, Amazon QuickSight now has support for custom colors, embedding for all user types and some new regions. So if you are artistically gifted, unlike myself, you can now choose uh, your color selection and you can customize your charts with any color from the spectrum, allowing better alignment with your corporate or project specific color schemes. And this happens for supported charts. The embedded dashboards can now also be requested via the get dashboard embed URL on behalf of Active Directory or QuickSight only users. So this means you can display it to all users of QuickSight, not just the IAM federated users as well. So it makes it much more simple and it is also available now in the EU Frankfurt and EU London regions as well adding to a wide list of regions that it's also available to. Now if you're using EMR the AWS Elastic MapReduce you can now get three times better Spark performance with EMR 5.25.0 so if you are a Spark user that's what I'd be going to because getting a 3x is a pretty good thing to get and uh, EMR now also supports native EBS encryption we spoke about native EBS encryption being available previously now you can get access to that either using the LUKS approach, which is the previous approach, or the native encryption, which means you have complete end-to-end encryption, both for the data volumes and the root volumes as well. It's completely transparent and easy to audit. Amazon Athena now adds support for AWS lake formation, which enables fine-grained access control on databases, tables, and columns, which we've already spoken about. Uh, EMR integration with lake formation is also now in beta, supporting the same capabilities for Apache Spark. Moving on to the topic of IoT, AWS IoT Device Defender has expanded globally into two additional regions, Paris and Stockholm, extending its footprint to 15 AWS regions. AWS IoT Device Defender now supports mitigation actions for audit results. So now customers can apply mitigation actions to audit findings, which enables customers to use predefined mitigation actions or customize them and apply them at scale. And this is the big thing, I think,
think is that it's not just about detecting issues in your environment, it's about remediating them quickly and at scale. And IoT, the IoT world is is known for the, the challenges of having hundreds of thousands, if not millions or billions of devices. And then if there's a problem, how do you fix it and fix it quickly? This is very cool to be able to do that. I think so too. They weren't finished though. AWS IoT Device Tester version 1.3.0 is now available for Amazon Free RTOS 209, 2019060.00 major. Say that like five times fast. <laughs> If you uh, if you you like Amazon Free RTOS two zero one nine zero six major IoT you're, you're device, good, you're good to go. <laughs> uh, and more updates in the IT world. AWS IT Event Actions now supports AWS Lambda, SQS, Kinesis, Firehose, and IoT events as targets. So now you can define more cool stuff that can happen. Previously, you could only do SNS and MQTT, which was good enough for me. But now you have much more this choice. One's really cool. It is cool because instead of having to go through SNS to those services, you can now just go straight to those services. And one last IoT events uh, update is it now supports AWS CloudFormation. So you can now specify those AWS IoT events resources that you've always wanted to in your automation. Let's move on to end user computing. So AWS Client VPN now supports split tunnel, which is really useful because you can now cherry pick the traffic that traverses over the VPN tunnel. This is really useful uh, if you're working on your on-premises network. Often employees need to access both AWS and on-premises resources. And with full tunnel, the traffic would always go over the VPN tunnel. Now you can choose to route where you need it to go based upon the particular endpoint you're talking to. I think the next one, Nikki, have you have you had a chance to play with this one? I haven't. I wanted to. It's really cool. I feel like it also had a different name before, so I didn't recognize it as a launch <laughs> So this is AWS Chatbot, which is in beta, which is ChatOps for AWS. And it lets you set up ChatOps for AWS in your Amazon Chime chat rooms or your Slack channels. So an AWS chatbot, it, it lets you have an interactive agent that enables you to monitor and interact with your AWS resources from team chat rooms. So you can get alerts, execute commands, return diagnostic information, etc. It's in beta and it is uh, support for receiving notifications in your chat room. So it's something I think we should hopefully our, our listeners will start to play with. There's an AWS chatbot homepage where you can learn more and start to sort of contribute to how we might want to use this. It's very cool. There's actually a cool announcement later on that we'll make regarding this, which is integration with AWS. US billing. That's ah, going to be really cool. Ah, yes. Well, that's, that's a, that's a, we'll get uh, to that. you're creating the sizzle there. <laughs> Couple a more, small preview. Yeah, preview. A couple more end user things. Amazon AppStream 2.0 now has CLI operations for programmatic image creation. So this is really useful if you're building those images over time. You can use a CLI to do that. Nice DCV now releases version 2019.0 with multi-monitor support on the web client. So this is the remote visualization protocol that lets users securely access remote desktop or application sessions, including 3D graphics applications hosted on servers with high-performance GPUs, of which we have lots as you heard Nikki talk about earlier. Well, now you can support up to four monitors at 4K resolution each. And the Windows client also supports USB redirection for 3D mice and USB storage devices as well. Uh, also uh, helps with remote Linux support in addition. And Nikki, I believe you'll be uh, procuring those four 4K monitors to do a stress test of this particular technology. Most definitely. I'm going to have to definitely do that for streaming purposes. Oh, of course. Purely for, for, um, for uh, research only. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not gaming, just research. (laughs) Moving on, we have new end-user computing competency solutions. So we announced new AWS end-user computing competency partners who can now support customers that need to provision, protect, and get intelligence from endpoint devices, end-user apps, and data on AWS. These consulting partners provide services and offerings that help customers with strategy, professional services, managing infrastructure, repeatable intellectual property, and optimization of end-user computing technologies on AWS. Amazon WorkDocs migration service. Amazon WorkDocs has made generally available a migration service to help you migrate your organization's files to Amazon WorkDocs. This service can migrate large amounts of data from tens of gigabytes to multiple terabytes uh, from Amazon S3 to Amazon WorkDocs. Let's move on to the topic of machine learning. And there are so many updates here. So there are lots of updates for SageMaker. And that's because the team is constantly taking user feedback and improving the service because those users want to do cool and new things with it. So SageMaker Batch Transform now enables associating prediction results with input attributes. Now the Batch Transform lets you run predictions on data sets stored in Amazon S3. And it's really useful for those really large batches of data where you don't need sub-second latency. Now you can configure those jobs to exclude certain data attributes from prediction requests and to join some or all of the attribute data with the prediction results. So you don't need to do a lot of the pre or post processing that you used to have to do. SageMaker Ground Truth adds data labeling workflow for named entity recognition. So this is really useful when you're using uh, Grand Truth to really improve the accuracy of your training data sets and it lets public and private human labelers to provide more, I guess, granular analytics of what's going on with that data set. Now it has a built-in labeling workflow for named entity recognition. So this means it can uh, basically let you go through uh, text data, locate noun phrases called named entities. These are categorized things like person, organization, brand, etc. You can also extend this to other types of text and categories as well. So Maker notebooks are now available with pre-installed R kernel. R is really popular with a lot of the data science community. So now that's available out of the box. And also that new was a mod- large reaction of that on Twitter. Yeah, People that was a, really that was a big that. one, hey? There you go. Good example. Yeah. And new model tracking capabilities for Amazon SageMaker are also now generally available. Now, what this does is allows you to quickly and easily find and compare your machine learning model training experiments using either the management console or the SDK. You can quickly search through thousands of model training experiments and compare metrics to evaluate performance across different iterations, accelerating your ability to identify the best performing models. Now, this is really important because machine learning and data science in general are very iterative processes. It's an experiment. You don't know what the right answer is. you're often doing lots and lots of experiments. And then once you've done them all, you're like, well, which was the best? This makes it much easier to figure that out. So very cool updates. A couple announcements regarding our ML APIs that were pretty cool. Amazon Comprehend Custom Entities now supports multiple entities types. So with Comprehend's Custom Entity Recognition API, you could easily build models to extract custom entities like policy numbers, part codes, serial numbers that are tailored to your organization needs. With the announcement today, this now supports entities, multiple entity types per model. So with multiple entity support, you can create a single custom entity recognition model to identify up to 12 entity types, which can now reduce costs and complexity by detecting multiple entity types in your documents using a single detection job. Introducing predictive maintenance using machine learning. Predictive maintenance using machine learning is a solution that automates the detection of potential equipment failures and provides recommended actions to take. It's very easy to deploy and contains an example data set of turbofan degradation simulation from NASA, but you 
can modify the solution to use your own data set. And that this solution deploys SageMaker, Lambda, S3, and CloudWatch events. Very cool way to get a, a very common sort of uh, use case up and running quickly. Amazon Transcribe Streaming now supports WebSockets, which is really, really useful because now you can open a bi-directional connection to send an audio stream to the service and receive a stream of text in real time. So previously you could use uh, HTTP slash two streams. The WebSocket protocol makes integrations even easier because a lot of people have been using WebSocket for a long time for this type of This is, this is a really good one. If yeah. you've never used Transcribe before, you know how powerful this announcement Ooh, is. Oh yeah, I've, I've actually got an app I've, I've been building that need, needed this <laughs> and it now has it. Same. Same. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, speaking of being replaced by technology, Nikki, Amazon Polly has launched neural text-to-speech and newscaster voices. So this provides some really different improvements into the speech quality and a new machine learning approach. So the eight US English and three UK English voices in the Polly portfolio now have both the standard technology as well as the new neural TTS technology. And this really does improve the natural soundingness of the voices. I've done a test between the two and it's actually quite remarkable. In addition, two of the US English voices now feature a newscaster speaking style, which is a very different style. It sounds like a sort of TV or radio newscaster. So, uh, so Nikki, I think you and I could be replaced by the rise of the machines at some point soon. Easily, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, this is a pretty cool one. You can now manage a Lex session using APIs on the client. So natural conversations are typically dynamic and they often cover multiple topics. So sometimes when we're talking, we start off with one topic and then we kind of go off and do a tangent and then we come back to another. And the only way you could manage a dynamic conversation like this on the server side was using Lambda functions. But now with this announcement, Amazon Lex session APIs can now manage a dynamic conversation on the client. You can define the dialogue state, slot values, prompt messages, and attributes. And with this granular control on the session, you can manage the conversation flow by performing operations such as switching to a different topic or continuing from a previous point in the conversation. I think that's super cool. Very, very nice. Lastly, Amazon recognition now detects violence, weapons, and self-injury in images and videos and has improved accuracy for nudity detection. Pretty important announcement considering what's happening in today's world. Now you can use recognition to detect content related to violence and visually disturbing themes such as blood, wounds, weapons, self-injury, corpses, and more. And furthermore, recognition's ability to identify explicit nudity and suggestive content has been improved through 68% lower false positive rate and a 36% lower false negative rate. Additionally, recognition now supports detection of new categories of adult content such as unsafe anime or illustrated content, adult toys, and sheer clothing. This is this so is a really use- this is a really important thing because uh, what a lot of people don't understand at the moment is for for a lot of the law enforcement work that gets done to try and detect people doing really nasty things out there, it's human beings who have to look at all these content, and that takes a severe psychological toll. So if we can use the ML to do that in advance, then we're obviously saving those people who have to look at these horrendous images to try and filter out what's good and not good before it gets to them, which is pretty important. We could also possibly stop things that are happening if we see that there there are a lot of these images mm, in mm. certain places. Yeah, it's an important thing in this world we live in. Let's move on to uh, AR and VR. So Amazon Sumerian now supports physically based rendering or PBR. So if you haven't used Sumerian, it's an AWS service that makes it easy to create and run browser-based 3D augmented reality and virtual reality applications. And now it supports this physically based rendering capability, which means you can make scenes that are more realistic, accurate, and consistent with their real world counterparts. Now, this is really important if you're building what are often called digital twins. One uh, scenario 
scenario we actually demonstrated back at Sydney Summit was the ability to show a shop, a store with uh, with all the items actually in real time on the on the shelf. But as people would take things off the shelf in the real world, the digital twin would also show that on the screen as well through Sumerian. So the ability to map these things to look like they really do is important. So um, some some very cool capabilities there amongst a bunch of other improvements. Shall we move on really to cool. Shall we move on to application integration? And Nikki, SNS is one of my favorite services, the simple notification really? service. Yeah, it's kind of the gl- the glue that ties all my applications together, to be honest. And uh, it's it's now <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's now added support for attribute key matching, which is really useful. So now you can create a subscription filter policy that matches incoming messages which contain an attribute key, regardless of the attribute value associated with this key. So this gives you some Super choices cool. that weren't before there. So I'm sure you probably got a bit of excitement around that one too. Yeah. I mean, the matching is really cool to match specific events. And there's different operators that you can match on. So you can do attribute string value matching, attribute numeric value matching, and attribute key matching in general. That was really, really cool. They also added support for AWS X-Ray. So you can now enable X-Ray for your messages passing through SNS, making it easier to trace and analyze messages as they travel through to the downstream services. So you're using them as kind of your glue between different things. Now you can use X-Ray to see what's happening. See how strong the glue is. And speaking of another service that I really like, which is Amazon SQS, simple queuing service. Using SNS, you're probably using SQS as well in some format. And the the temporary queue client is now available. Now, this supports common messaging patterns like request response, and it helps you save development time and deployment costs when creating application-managed temporary queues. And to be honest, this is one I hadn't thought about before because I'm sort of used to sort of nailing up long-term queues, but there are use cases where you only want them for a short time, aren't there, Nikki? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that one either until I read this one. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) makes nothing but sense. So this will just nail it up for you, use it, and then it goes away. I like it. I like it too. Amazon MQ has added support for AWS KMS, which has improved encryption capabilities. So when you create a broker now, you can select the KMS key used to encrypt your data from the following three options. A KMS key in the Amazon MQ service account, a KMS key in your account that Amazon MQ creates and manages, or a KMS key in your account that you create and manage. And in addition to encryption at rest, all data transferred between Amazon MQ and client applications is securely transmitted using TLS or SSL. Amazon MSK has added support for Apache Kafka version 2.2.1 and expanded its availability to Stockholm, Mumbai, and Seoul. And Amazon API Gateway now supports secured connectivity between REST APIs and Amazon VPCs in additional regions. So this allows you to isolate traffic between your Amazon VPC and REST APIs from the internet using private API and VPC link features provided by the API Gateway. So this is now available in uh, AWS GovCloud US West, EU Paris, EU Stockholm, Asia-Pacific Hong Kong, the AWS China Beijing region operated by Synet and the AWS China Ningxia region operated by NWCD in addition to a bunch of other regions that were already supported. And uh, Nikki, lots of updates in the management and governance space. One that's really one cool. One which I previewed too. Ooh, which, which one did you, is, is this first one on our list or? Uh, I, no? I alluded to oh, it. Was, you did, that's right. Shortly. That's coming up. Well, I won't, I won't give that one away. Um, AWS Cost Explorer now supports usage-based forecasts. So you can now create custom usage forecasts using the Cost Explorer to get live of sight on your future usage patterns. So this uses a machine learning algorithm that learns your historical usage trends and uses that to provide a forecast of your future usage. So you can sort of see in advance what's going on. You can also generate your usage forecast and explore your cost usage programmatically via the AWS Cost Explorer API as well. So this is a very cool capability. Another one I know a lot of customers have been looking forward to is Amazon EC2 resource optimization recommendations. So the Cost Explorer will tell you where you have idle or underutilized instances across your account 
accounts and regions. And again, it uses a historical information and then figures out what makes sense and may recommend that you may downsize so you can save money, etc. Ultimately, we want you to run as efficiently as possible. So this gives you insight into that at scale. So Nikki, come on. Give us, give us the one. You've been waiting for this one. The one, the one and only. AWS Budgets has announced AWS Chatbot integration. So now you can leverage the Budgets integration with the newly released Chatbot service to receive budget alerts via Slack and Amazon Chime. I really want to set this up. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> Is this what you're going to do after this episode? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so to enable this integration, you simply configure an Amazon simple notification service topic during the budget alert creation process. And from there, you head to the chatbot console and map your SNS topic to the appropriate Slack channel or chime room. Sounds easy enough. I can't wait to set it up. Well, you, can, you can tell us how it went in the next episode. AWS uh, Systems Manager has a bunch of improvements. Document discovery in AWS System Manager automation has been made a lot easier. So you can find, for example, uh, security-related documents, so documents to encrypt S3 buckets in the security category remedial mediation documents to rescue EC2 instances in that, in that category, et cetera. So it's really makes it easy to sort of operate your environment. The AWS Systems Manager distributor now makes it easy to create distributable software packages. So you can deploy your software packages across instances quickly. It'll package your installers so they can be easily used to install and update your software across multiple operating systems as well. So this is something that often we spend a lot of time doing, but is a painful process. So now it's a bit easier. You can also use AWS Systems Manager maintenance windows to select resource groups as targets. So this means you can attack different categories when you're doing particular activities. So maybe you're patching a set of servers, et cetera. This lets you do that a lot more easily. You can use the AWS Systems Manager to resolve operational issues with your .NET and Microsoft SQL Server applications. So Systems Manager now integrates with CloudWatch application insights for .NET and SQL Server, enabling you to easily and quickly resolve problems impacting your application health. The application insights help you set up and analyze important monitors across your application resources to detect anomalies and errors with those resources in uh, for you know for .NET applications and Microsoft SQL Server applications. I mean, with this new built-in integration, you can now easily view, investigate, and resolve these problems using the AWS Systems Manager's Ops Center, helping you further reduce your mean time to resolution, which is super important. Yeah. And another update is around CloudWatch Logs Insights. And this has cross-log group querying, which is really, really useful. So if you haven't used uh, CloudWatch Log Insights, it's an interactive log analytics service that lets developers, engineers, and operators easily explore analyze and visualize logs when you're debugging and troubleshooting, which is what Nikki and I spend a ridiculous amount of time doing because we can't write code <laughs> properly for goodness sake. Now it introduces a cross log group querying capability. So you can query uh, across multiple log groups within the same account. So you can get mo- answers from multiple logs in a single query. So you don't have to do the query this one, query that one, query that one. You just do them all together, which will save us a lot of time, I think. Definitely. CloudFormation now supports higher stack set limits. This one's pretty cool. So the number of stack sets you can have in your administrator account has increased from 20 to 100. And the number of stack instances you can have per stack set has increased from 500 to 2,000. Nice. So if you, uh, if you didn't have enough CloudFormation stacks before, now hopefully you do. <laughs> you have more. Moving on to customer engagement. This one's pretty cool. Introducing the AI-driven social media dashboard. So the AI-driven social media dashboard is a solution that monitors and ingests specified tweets using stream processing and leverages a serverless architecture and machine learning services to translate and extract insights from those tweets. I feel like there have just been like a lot of people trying to build this exact solution or similar to it like over yeah, the course of yeah. time. 
guy tried at one point. And this is really cool. Now you can just take the solution yep. and just, use it. Just get get to it. Uh, there's a new uh, Amazon Connect integration for Choice View from uh, Radish Systems on AWS. So this allows the uh, Amazon Connect service to become a multimedia platform that allows callers with a smartphone or virtually any phone or browser combination to interact with visual live agents and visually enhanced virtual agents. But the good thing is callers don't have to install a mobile app, pre-register or set up a profile in advance, which is very cool. And Amazon Pinpoint now adds campaign and application metric APIs. So uh, if you're running campaigns, etc., you can now call the APIs to display, monitor and assess the performance of your campaigns without having to analyze raw event data or even sign into the console. You can just get the data out straight away through the API. Let's cover some media updates really, really quickly. The uh, AWS Elemental team has been very busy and AWS Elemental appliances and software are now available in the AWS management console. So you can get these and deploy them very, very easily. AWS Elemental Media Convert now has expanded audio support and improved performance as well. So there is support for new audio only outputs for HLS, AAC with MP4 and WAV with PCM as well. Also some improvements in the performance profiles of those. AWS Elemental Media Convert now also lets you prioritize your transcoding jobs so you can choose which ones go first. And Media Convert also has simplified the editing and sharing of settings as well. So this is all about workflow, which is really important in the media space. AWS Elemental Media Store also now supports resource tagging and you all know how important tagging things is. So that is available too. And finally, AWS Elemental Media Live enhances support support for file-based inputs for live channels as well. So now you can effectively configure unlimited file inputs and start and stop anywhere at an exact time reference within the file being used as the input. So this is a very powerful capability for those broadcasting type workloads. Moving over to the topic of mobile, one quick announcement. AWS Device Farm has improved device startup time to enable instant access to devices. So with this launch, Device Farm is reducing the device startup time by 90%. So you get instant access to real iOS and Android devices very quickly. Let's, and it will set up that device for within 30 seconds of your request. Let's talk security. Uh, one of the libraries I'm a big fan of is the Amazon Coretto library and the Amazon Coretto crypto provider or ACCP is available for improved cryptography performance. And historically, Java cryptography has been very CPU intensive and it provides with the slow performance and elevated operational costs. This library updates dozens of cryptographic algorithms, accelerating cryptographic workloads. And we all remember that the rule of if you want to write your own crypto, what's the answer? Don't, 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 don't do, it. do it. And AWS Secrets Manager now supports VPC endpoint policies. So again, you can restrict egress of secrets from your Amazon VPC. So you can scope down very, very closely exactly what you want to have happen. The AWS Secrets Manager is a really useful capability. It lets you retrieve and manage secrets throughout their life cycle. And this is really useful for using short-term secrets that you need to rotate frequently. The rotate part is the hard bit. This helps you automate all that. All right, two quick announcements in gaming and robotics. Gaming first, Lumberyard Beta 1.20, now available, reduces the time it takes Amazon Lumberyard to scan assets by 90% and contains over 200 improvements, fixes, and features. And moving on to robotics, AWS RoboMaker now supports offline logs and metrics for the AWS RoboMaker CloudWatch cloud extension. So these extensions provide the capability to stream logs and metrics to the cloud from remote robots. Many of these remote robots operate on the edge and they don't have that reliable network connection to the internet and experience intermittent network connectivity to the cloud. So these new offline logs and metrics capabilities provide resilience to network connectivity issues and improve data durability. The stream metric and log data will be buffered on a local disk and sent to AWS later when the network connection has been restored. And the final topic for today's episode is training, which is very important because enabling people in your team or enabling yourself is a very good way to do things better. Firstly, the AWS certification exam vouchers are now available to make certifying groups 
groups easier. So in the past, if you wanted to certify, you had to buy the access to the certification. Now you can pre-buy the exam vouchers, which means you can give them out to your team and then they can actually use them without having to sign up themselves, which is very cool. There are also some new resources and a website to accelerate your cloud adoption. This is a new AWS training and certification for enterprise website, which enables enterprise customers to build cloud skills within their organization and achieve their business objectives faster. So there are things like a customizable internal communications kit, some really useful white papers that help you engage with your senior stakeholders and even an ebook on some of the benefits of approaching this. So some really good resources there. And finally, a new developer series, Nikki, that's been uh, relaunched. I want to take it. (laughs) So AWS Developer Series has relaunched on edX. This digital series features three courses that help developers continue building their skills, deepen their cloud expertise with AWS. So they have AWS Developer Building on AWS that teaches learners to work in Python on Linux, to develop a web application that builds on their developer skills. And there's AWS Developer Deploying on AWS, which teaches learners um, how to apply concepts and practices behind DevOps methodology to build and test an application using Cloud9 and then deploy a cloud-based infrastructure with Beanstalk. And then finally, there's the AWS Developer Optimizing on AWS, which focuses on performance tuning, the application developed in the first two courses using containers with the Amazon ECS, Amazon CloudFront, and Amazon Elasticash caching services, as well as the CloudWatch monitoring tool. That's um, very so cool. Like and there's, and there's, a, there's a discount available as well, I think. Uh, so you can you can audit the course. Listening. Yeah, you can audit the course for uh, six weeks for free after you enroll, or you can pay a one-time fee of $149 US to earn a verified certificate per course. Now, those who enroll in edX's certificate track of any AWS developer course series before September the 6th, 2019, can save 20% on using the code AWS developer. That's AWS developer. Oh, yeah. Operators are standing now, <laughs> standing by. AWS developer, all caps. All caps. I wonder if it's case sensitive. <laughs> Someone could do a test. I don't know. <laughs> So Nikki, we've covered, I know it's it's discounts everywhere. We've covered a great deal today, Nikki. Where do people find you and the work that you do? Uh, You can pretty much always find me on the AWS Twitch channel. That's twitch.tv slash AWS or my own channel as of recently, twitch.tv slash K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. I really think we should like build something together live and stream it, Simon. That would be cool. It's it's always, I think we should. I think it's always entertaining to watch people argue about tabs versus spaces. So uh, we can do two, (laughs) two hours of that. And, uh, and and is Twitter the best place for people to uh, to ping you if they spot your uh, mic stand in the wild? <laughs> Twitter, Twitter is the best place. If you find that mic stand, man, like, please tweet at me, DM me. I always answer my DMs on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. It's just Nikki 23. It's an oranym of my name. Awesome. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks so much, Simon. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. Also, if you've got ideas, send it through. We'd love to get your feedback, share it with others, tweet about it. People are often delighted when they discover, oh, there's a podcast out there. So we really do appreciate the word of mouth. And of course, until next time, keep on building.